Welcome back to Swedish Podcast X. Last episode, we talked about the six from Delhi who came and had a discussion with Guru Gobind Singh. Mama Kripal Chand, the uncle of Guru Gobind Singh, was asking those six about the state of Aurangzeb, what he was planning next. And that's where we left off in chapter seven. Now chapter eight begins describing how Guru Gobind Singh and his uncle were listening to the story said by the Delhi six, hearing the story about the idiot Aurangzeb. They asked them about him. He said, Tanisha, who's in the south, how did Aurangzeb have conflict with him? Then tell us the story regarding the reason why he mounted up against him. So the Dili six then clasped her hands and replied, saying, Oh, listen, Guru Gobind Singh Prabhu, to the crooked ways of Aurangzeb, the leader of the Turks. Tanisha had a tremendously invaluable jewel, which was pristinely glistening. He kept it on his ring. Aurangzeb had a desire for that jewel, and he found a jeweler who was really good at assessing, identifying jewels. He was unmatched in that trade. He would assess the best quality of jewels. He knew the value of all these gems, diamonds. Aurangzeb said to him, Take up the dress of a trader and prepare for the journey to the south. Meet with Tanisha. Look at his ring that he has on his hand and assess it for its value with your wise intellect. Have a good look at it. So the jeweler accepted this task. He set off taking with him great wealth from Aurangzeb and he prepped for the journey. He set off and traveled down the path, arriving there in Hyderabad. For some days he stayed there. He was prepping many things, uh, how he would then meet with Tanisha. He then spent a lot of money giving it to the different ministers to organize, to arrange for such a meeting. And when the time came, he walked into the court with many rare gifts for Tanisha. He stood at a distance of about 50 paces away. There he was standing, he then bowed down, and he met with the Emperor Tanisha very astutely, with all his intellect and his attention. Tanisha raised his hand, which had the ring on it, which had the jewel in it, and he was placing it on his face. He was twisting his mustache, he was looking at the jeweler, and at that point, the jeweler saw the jewel. The jamma, the long shirt that uh, the jeweler was wearing. Well, the reflection of the jewel then hit his shirt. The light just hit in the right way, and that reflection hit the shirt of the jeweler. And he, because of this, was able to properly assess the power of its reflection, how well it glistened. He also assessed the weight and worth of the jewel. And he thought, well, if the ruler of Dili, if Aurangzeb tripled the amount of wealth he had in his treasury, even then, it wouldn't be worth even just one jewel. This jewel is truly priceless. It cannot be valued. It has a weight of about 12 mashas or masas, which is about 12 grams. And as a side note, this would be an exceptionally large diamond. It would be converted to roughly about 60 carats. So the jeweler, with the strength of his intellect, understood everything about it. And looking at the jewel, he was in awe. He was thinking that there's no other jewel like this ever, which is having such a pristine reflection. He was performing this task and assessing and valuing the jewel, seeing it from the reflection on his robe. Even from about 50 paces away, he knew all of this, of the great worth and the weight of the jewel. He then bowed and headed out. He had this desire to quickly head back to Dili to tell Aurangzeb. So he quickly traveled up the path. He arrived there in Dili without any delay. He met with Aurangzeb and he said, I saw that jewel and I assessed it properly. Now, if you were to multiply your wealth, the wealth of the entire empire, that is how much the jewel is worth. 
I stood about 50 paces away and I saw it. Its reflection fell on my robe. It has a weight of about 12 masa, or 12 grams. Think about this now, how you're going to be able to obtain this. Listening to this, Aurangzeb then desired to get it, how he would obtain it without the use of force. He spent some time thinking about this, and some time passed in this way. Now, when he left Delhi, he knew that nobody would badmouth him because of this, nobody would slander him, so he used this as an excuse to mount up, to head down south. It's not known what will happen there, whether he will live there or return, whether he will just die down there. Listening to this, Guru Gobind Singh naturally said, he won't come back now. For many years, he'll wage a battle. He'll spend the rest of his life down there, and then he'll go to the abode of death. Matidas, the Divan, the minister of Guru Tegh Bahadur, his court, as a Shaheed Sikh, he returned in anger, occupying Aurangzeb's house in Delhi, and he wouldn't let him sleep in peace. He would kick this vile enemy out of his house constantly. So this is something we'll hear more about. It will be fully explained in a later chapter, in a later season, when Tarim Singh asked Guru Gom Singh about the nature of Shahid Singhs. But here, this is worth pointing out that when a Sikh obtains Shahidi, obtains martyrdom, they merge with a collection of Shahid Sikhs in Rome to their heart's delight, performing whatever service or protection they deem fit with the command of the Guru. This is an idea that pervades through pre-colonial Sikh historical narratives, including the very famous Prachin Pant Prakash, written by Ratan Singh Pangu. So everybody in the court heard the words of Guru Gobind Singh and they bowed down at that time. They said the divine Prabhu Guru Gobind Singh's state cannot be known. We're just simple-minded, unperceptive beings living in fear. So in this manner, the story played out and then the true Guru left his residence. He would train greatly in the science of weapons, Shastra day by day, increasing more and more in his training time. He would request bows from Lahore, the finest of bow makers pulling them back to his ear and shooting out arrows, creating backstops of dirt. So a backstop is a large lump of dirt you shoot at for target practice. Just with this little tiny force the Guru was using, he would launch these arrows straight in there. The Guru at this point would be using a junior bow, a training size bow, pulling it back over and over again, physically training, gaining strength. He would shoot arrows from such a distance, nailing the mark, pulling it back, letting it go over and over again. The Guru's strength, glory, physical growth, and enjoyment were growing day by day. Those relatives who had love for the Guru, they all came in such happiness. Guru Hargobind's daughter, whose name is Bibi Viro, she had five sons who were such great warriors, who had cultivated so many great virtues. When the Guru had his Dasarbandi, his coronation, since that time, these five warrior sons of Bibi Viro would stay in the Guru's sanctuary. The gracious Prabhu, Guru Gobind Singh, would keep them close because he had such great desire to learn the science of weapons, Shastra Vidya. Guru Hargobind also had a son, Surajmal, and he had two sons. They also began staying with the Guru. Every now and then, they would return back to Kirithpur, where they would live before that point. Otherwise, they would stay in Anandpur side with Guru Gobind Singh. They also kept many Sikh servants, Sevaks close at that time, they made their life fruitful, obtaining a darshan, the divine sight of the Guru, daily. The Sikhs would practice the science of shooting, performing target practice, shooting out bullets, hitting and spinning those targets around with the force of those bullets. Guru Gobind Singh, watching them all shoot, became so happy. He praised their shooting, and then he began shooting himself. 
Later, they all grabbed bows in their hands, drawing the bow back. With great strength, they were letting arrows fly. Near the Guru was his uncle, Kripal Chand, always watching him, teaching him, bestowing, instructing on Shastravidya to everybody. Sometimes the Guru would mount up on his horse and ride out, taking with him spears, spinning them while striking. Sometimes they would see the field and just ride the horse really fast, galloping, performing drills with guns and kripans. Where there is shade in the forest, the Guru would spend some time resting there. Otherwise, they would just hunt to their heart's delight. Guru Hargobind's warrior companion, the Brahmin Malakjati, the Guru's prot, his son was named Dayaram, who was here with Guru Gobind Singh, who would train in Shastravidya greatly. When he heard the Guru had come to Anandpur, he also came there and blessed the Guru, who became pleased in him, looking at him, kept him close at hand. The warriors of Guru Hargobind, whether they're kids or grandkids, they saw the great glory of Guru Gobind Singh, how he had begun training greatly in the science of weaponry and warfare, and then they desired to train as well. They all arrived close to the Guru and bowed down their head. They told their old stories of their previous life and their ancestry. The Guru listened to all of this and comforted them, distributing monthly wages to them for services and kept them close. Whoever came to stay with the Guru, whether big, whether small, whether important, whether insignificant, they were all kept. And everybody was giving one silver coin a day for their salary. Day by day, congestion occurred with great amounts of people coming to earn their living in this servant, in this service. Many Sikh servants remained close to the Guru, redeeming their life, obtaining the darshan of the Guru. Some were from the Guru's own lineage, or some were Kadimi Sikh, Sikhs for many generations. They all came to the residence of the Guru to meet them. Just like their grandfather's force, army was created, in the same way now, warriors were now kept by Guru Gobind Singh. In the same way, he built up his forces, and day by day, Anandpur Sahib as a city was expanding. There was such depth of practice in weapon training and performing their practice. They would watch these duels and they would spar with each other. Sometimes they would mount up and head to the forest. They practiced galloping and maneuvering, jumping around in many different ways, across different terrains, in different group formations, tirelessly in many drills. In grasping their bows in their hands, they would show others how they would hit the target. With spears and firearms, swords and pistols, the true Guru trained with all of these in great love. That concludes chapter 8 of season 1, Pehli Rut. The next chapter, we're going to hear about Guru Gobind Singh's engagement. So that's where we're going to pick up next time. But as always, I'd like to thank those who have been supporting the podcast through the Mangla Charn Patreon page.